You're listening to the Sunday Messages Podcast, brought to you by Cypress Creek Church. Good morning, Cypress Creek Church. How are you this morning? All right, we're awake. We're awake. It is uh, good to be with you. My name is Jose. I have the honor of serving as a lead pastor, and we, Cypress Creek Church, are a group of imperfect people who are all on a journey to follow the only perfect Savior, and that's Jesus. I really am grateful that you're here in the house. If you are new, I would love to see you at 1245 uh, back over there at Discovery. If you've been checking us out for some time and you're thinking about taking that next step or just asking good questions, I want to invite you to Discovery. Again, 1245, there's a room in the back called The Den, and uh, my favorite part is getting to see and know a little bit more about who's coming to Cyprus. It's always fun to see how God orchestrates amazing journeys and connects the dots and uh, also to answer any questions. Bring your difficult questions. I uh, thrive for some weird reason. Maybe a counselor can tell me why. I love being put under pressure, so bring your questions. Would love to see you there. Uh, And then women, next Sunday, I will not be there, but you will be here for the women's gathering at 6 p.m., If you can RSVP, that would be amazing because they're planning incredible things for you and RSVPing will help the planning. If uh, you're also new, you haven't heard of the guide. We have an online, all-inclusive place with all the things that you could ever ask, want, or imagine. It's called the ccc.guide. That's a website you can put up on your phone. Encourage you to check that out. It's got the slides for the message, a lot of other great resources. And y'all, I am excited because this morning we're starting a new series. I've been thinking about this for a while and I'm excited to start talking about promises. The promises that God has made to us. The promises of God that are yes and amen. We've already uh, uh, almost started that series as we sang this song, Promises, And I think it's so important to know the promises that God has given to us because in our every day, where, where we go from unknown to unknown, where we go from trial to trial, from struggle to struggle, these promises really serve as anchors for us as we follow the resurrected Savior, Jesus, as, as we follow his direction. Again, we already read that verse in 2 Corinthians. It says that God's promises are always yes and amen. The issue is that we sometimes don't know his promises. There are over 3,000 promises in Scripture. We're going to go through all of them this morning. I know, I know, I knew that would get y'all. We're not going to do that. We're just going to go through one, the first promise. But before we get to the first promise in Scripture, I want to talk about this word covenant because God is a covenantal God. We are familiar with contracts. We have contracts when we put an offer on a home. We have contracts at work to negotiate certain things. We know that word contract well. A couple of things that differentiate a covenant from a contract. A contract has a beginning and has an end. A contract can be amended and contracts are broken. Covenants are binding. They invite us to partner with whoever we are making a covenant with. We don't have covenants often in our lives, but almost uh, 12 years ago, here on this stage, I entered into 
a covenant. The first time that I actually stood front and center, it was next to that pretty woman over here, my wife, and we exchanged vows, and that was our covenant agreement. You guys probably, if you're married, exchanged similar vows. Now it's really popular to write your own vows and be super romantic and talk about the quirky things about your significant other. If you did that, I'm not picking on you. I think that's really cool. But I think that there is also something very powerful about these traditional vows. They're not very romantic, but they are real. And they talk about the power of binding yourself to another in this covenant relationship. You may have said them yourselves. You vow to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and understand till death do us part. Easy to say, really difficult to live out. If you are in Christ and you made that vow to your significant other, then the beautiful thing is that we first fall under a covenant with God. And so that covenant actually is the reason why we enter into a marriage covenant. See, God promised himself to us to never leave us nor forsake us. Even after death, when we are in Christ, we will never be away from him. He will always be with us. This power of covenant is super important. And again, something that I want us to remember, maybe learn for the first time. If you're starting out your walk with Jesus, or if you are thinking about following Jesus, giving your life over to him as your savior and your Lord, this is a great series to explore because if you have been around church, uh, you probably have heard that God is a promise keeper, but you and I fall short. We say that we're a group of imperfect People, There is this verse that I hope that we memorize. We'll be here for a while, and it's a short verse. But I challenge you to memorize this verse. It's in 2 Timothy 2.13. It says this, if we are unfaithful, he, God, remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. We have a faithful God, a covenantal God who has made promises, and he can't deny it even when we fall short, God will never fail. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. As we dive into these promises, I hope that we really focus on his faithfulness. That's where I'm going to spend most of my time. We are unfaithful. We'll talk about that some because when we contrast that, it's unreal how faithful he is despite our unfaithfulness. Before we open up the word of God, let's pray. Father, we thank you for that promise that you are faithful to us despite our unfaithfulness. Father, may we know you better as we read your word. We thank you for these words that were written down thousands of years ago that are incredibly relevant today. May they pierce our hearts. May they correct us. May they guide us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The first promise is in the book of Genesis. 
It's going to be surprising. I'll leave that as a cliffhanger. Who the promise is to, it's not who you would expect. But the promise is this. It's the promise of victory. Can we say that together? Victory. We all like to win. We all like, especially if you're competitive. I know you like to win. At our house, turns out we have four very competitive children. And we know this through this wonderful game called Uno. (laughs) Tables have been turned over this game, Uno. The cards have spread out on the living room. The decibel level has been very high. Through this simple card game, Uno, again, we have learned that we have a competitive household. We like to win. Everybody likes to win. No one likes to lose, especially our four-year-old. So when we go on dates, my wife and I, again, this is kind of, they caught this culture of competitiveness because we actually enjoy competing with one another. In fun fact, she wins a lot. And she's very good at a lot of things, especially uh, basketball. So I don't like playing horse or pig, anything else maybe, but anyway, I'll share more stories later. Pickleball is something that I started playing with, and I don't like losing. Joel, our worship pastor, is undefeated against me, and we've played a lot. And so I want to now challenge Cypress Creek Church, raise somebody up to beat him at pickleball. I will buy you a burger or lunch on me. There you are, Beto. I knew you were up for the challenge. Somebody beat this man, please. He is unbeatable, and I don't like losing. How about you? I'll never forget my sophomore year. We were playing the championship game, football state championship. We were losing at halftime, and our coaches were wise enough to know that we were going to lose that game. And instead, they challenged us to not allow this loss to define our season. And he challenged us to look at each other and to admonish one another and to uh, encourage one another. Even though we were losing, we had something that bound us, this team that had done so much in the season. I'm so glad that he did because over a year later, I went through the, one of the worst losses of my life. One of my best friends died on, in a car accident as he was driving home from school, and I experienced the grief of loss, the loss of a loved one that I know many of you are experiencing now, the loss of someone that was close and now seems far away. The reality is, is that in this world we will have trouble. We will have losses. Maybe you're experiencing the loss right now of a job or financial security. Maybe you're experiencing the loss of a friend or a relative where there is distance between you and that person. We're going to read from page one of the Bible in chapter two of the book of Genesis to see how this loss culture of loss came about, and how God overcame the world, how he gave us victory. If this season of life right now is defined by the feet, I am so glad that you came this morning because the message is that you are more than a conqueror in Christ, that because of what he did for us, there is nothing that can separate us from 
this life. There is victory in Christ. I love this verse in Psalm 108, 13 says, with God, we will gain the victory and he will trample down our enemies. Now in athletics, it's easy to think about the enemy being the opposing team. I love what Coco Goff said at the U.S. Open. She said this, she's a believer, and she said that she never prays for results. I love that. She prays that God would give her the strength to do her best because we can sometimes in, you know, you, you guys know if you've been in athletics and you've been a Christian, we start, Lord, we pray that you give us the victory against our enemy on the other side. Those enemies are people, y'all. They're praying for the same thing. It's bad theology. Can we stop that? <laughs> Let's not pray for victory. Pray that God, thanks to the victory that he's given us over death, can give us the strength to do what you've been doing in practice if you've been going to practice. Victory is ours in Christ. Who are our enemies? Well, let's turn to Genesis chapter 2. Here is the first assignment, this dream. I mean, you talk about wins. You talk about victory. Adam won the lottery. God created him. He put him in this beautiful garden. He created him after his own image. Through him, all of us are now image bearers, literally made in the image of the creator, God. And it says this in Genesis 2.15. Again, this is the dream scenario. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So Adam is in paradise. He has his dream home in this garden. Think about your dream home right now for a moment. Right now, my dream home is about 65 degrees, somewhere outside with tall trees, mountains, and beach. Come on, somebody. You know, it is just amazing. I see the green, lush grass, right? Streaming rivers. Lord, please send more rain. We want our streaming rivers back. I mean, dream home, dream job to take care of this garden. Goes on to say, the Lord uh, uh, God formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. So dream job. I mean, this guy had to care for this garden that was already fruitful and naming all of the animals. What's your dream job? Maybe not this, but just think about the ideal job. Y'all, it was easy for him to work in this state. Everything that he did worked. Carburetors didn't need to be cleaned out. Batteries didn't need to be replaced. It was easy, no rust. Come on. I mean, it was good. And then, Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused a man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. And the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. I love this. First wedding. Man said, this is, now, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. For she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother 
and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. He had his dream home. He had his dream job, and he had his dream girl. Life was good. Love this last part. They were both naked, and they felt no shame. No worries. No worries whatsoever. You guys, if you've been to church at any point, know that there was a problem. This was God's plan. To be in covenant relationship with his image bearers, with you and me, to partner with us to, to, so that we could rule together this created world. To cultivate human flourishing in our relationships. But then something went terribly wrong. That choice that he gave them. Eat from all of those trees. Just don't eat from that one tree. That one choice. God wanted to see whether we would trust him, whether we would choose him after he had chosen us and we fell short. We were unfaithful. That's the story of fallen humanity. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. It's called sin. We literally missed the target. God gave us this incredible plan and we, in our own volition, have ruined it. And so what happened? Well, there was a snake, very important. This snake, it came into the picture, started whispering lies that then enticed our human flesh to turn our backs against God and choose to go our own independent way. And here we are all those years later with the same exact Problem. Adam and Eve were kicked out of their dream home. They were no longer in the garden. Life and work was hard. Work was not dreamy anymore. And their relationship was less than ideal. They were pointing fingers at one another saying, it was your fault. It was your fault. Adam was like, why did you tell me to eat from the tree? And Eve said, why didn't you tell me in the first place that God told you not to eat from that tree? He told you he didn't tell me it's your fault because he didn't tell me. Hello? We do the same thing today. Our relationships were broken and we found ourselves in this fallen reality. Worst of all, we were distant from our creator. Trust was broken. Sin entered the picture. And this covenant relationship was in jeopardy. But God is faithful. Let's put that Verse back up, 2 Timothy 2.13. If we are unfaithful, what? He remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. Whole story of the Bible can be summed up in three words. God is faithful. Time after time, we let him down. He never fails. He always pursues. He's always right there. His grace goes from everlasting to everlasting. That is the God that we came here this morning to praise. That is the God of the Bible. Where does victory come in, you ask? Here we go. It's not a promise to Adam. It's not a promise to Eve. The first promise of the Bible is the promise of victory, and he's speaking straight to the deceiver to the serpent. Genesis 3:15 and I God will put enmity between you the devil, Satan, the adversary, the serpent and 
the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. The offspring of the woman will crush the head of the serpent, and you will strike his heel. Victory over the devil. <laughs> Victory over death. That is the first promise in the Bible, that even when we fall short, God still pursues us and makes a way out. This word enmity means a state of being actively opposed. It was true then that there is enmity between us and the deceiver, and it's still true now. The Bible says that he, the devil, prowls around looking for someone to devour. He does this, and again, it entices our sinful flesh, our sinful nature. It's not always the devil. The devil sometimes is inside of us trying to edge God out, stands for ego, edging God out. That's our sinful flesh, and we live in a broken world that, again, wants to glorify man instead of God. But this offspring of a woman, his name is Jesus the God-man, the only one who was perfect, lived a blameless and perfect life according to the law. He made no mistake. He was faithful every day of his 33 years of life. And then he died a criminal's death. He died so that we could have life. He surrendered his life so that we can have victory over death. And he proved that by raising again on that third day. He was he struck at the heel. The serpent struck Jesus at the heel, but it only took a short amount of period for Jesus to overcome death. He rose again, and it says this in Romans 4, 25. He was handed over to die because of our sins, our unfaithfulness, and he was raised to life to make us right with God, this morning you may be feeling defeated. The message is short, and that is that there is victory in Christ. No matter what you may be struggling with, you can have the faith knowing that the victory at the end of life is one, that our security is sealed in heaven, that thanks be to God, we are more than conquerors. Anybody out there? Jesus led the greatest comeback in human history. He rose again from the dead. It is game over. What does this mean for us? Well, in 1 Peter 1, 3, 5, it says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. So thanks to who God is, he's given us everything we need to follow him. He, we received all of this by coming to know him. This is a relationship with the creator God, the one that we had relationship with in the garden, and then we fractured that by our sin. But now Jesus has brought us back into this opportunity to knowing God, truly knowing the one. Because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. Again, the promise this morning is victory over death. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all of this, this is our job here, make every effort to respond to God's promises. So he's done it. The end of his life, Jesus on the cross, final words were, it is 
finished. The price has been paid thanks to his blood that fully covers our long record of sins. We've now been grafted into his family again. And we're staying in that tension, and that's where I'm going, until Jesus comes back. Whenever that is, Lord, come soon. And then the devil will be thrown into the lake of fire once and for all. Revelation 20 speaks to that. What do we do, though, when we hang in that balance? Because there is a struggle in this world, right? Am I the only one with struggles in this life? We have tension and struggle and pain. How do we respond to God's promises? Well, normally I have three or four points. This morning, only one. Here it is. The key to victory is surrendering to Jesus. That's it. How do we win? How do we join him in victory? May seem counterintuitive. Certainly is in our culture. Where the key to victory, you watch a sporting event, and the commentator says, this morning, here are the keys to victory, good defense, good offense, and okay special teams. And he gives you a list. Our key to victory as followers of Jesus is surrendering. Because he already surrendered his life for us. He did it. It is finished. We submit ourselves. Counterintuitive, countercultural, and so important for us. As we do that, we will receive the power that we need to face that sickness that we are dealing with right now, to face that fractured relationship that we are consumed by, that financial issue that is overwhelming our circumstance, to face that grief faced by losing that close friend or family member. We surrender to the one who surrendered his life for us. The beautiful reality is that Adam and Eve had one choice that ruined everything. And we now have one choice that can restore us back to that reality in the Garden of Eden. To some degree here, we, we, we celebrate that this morning when we gather as this church here on Sunday. It's like an outpost of heaven. And then we do that as we meet in homes and community groups and we talk with one another and we read his word and we pray, all of those things. But y'all, we will have an eternity to look forward to enjoying that garden reality again. Isn't that good news? Anybody out there excited for 65 degree weather, sunny skies, and no snakes? <laughs> it's gonna be good. But we have a job to do. We have a job to do as his followers first. We have to spread the message. We have to share that with those that don't know him because the reality is, is that a lot of people not only are being defeated by their circumstance, but they will be eternally defeated by death if they do not come under the life that has been given for them, this atoning sacrifice that Jesus gave us, this promise of victory. When we surrender our lives, we do this right here. Most humbling posture that we can have as humans, completely defenseless, you can come at me, poke me, kick me. I got nothing. Surrendered. Not going to fight back. But you know, when you watch that ball game later this afternoon, you'll probably see this very same posture for the opposite, for victory. Yes. We do it in concerts. 
We do it in sports games. Can we do this in church too? When we praise God? See, it's, it's both. We say, Lord, I surrender my life to you. I surrender my circumstance. I recognize that I'm being defeated right now. But greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. You have overcome the world. In this world, we will have trouble, but we take heart because you have overcome the world. And so we stand in victory, knowing that the price has been paid. Our debt has been reconciled. And we are now his children that have been promised eternity. Y'all, we live like that. Our community will change. Five of us live that way. If 10 of us live that way, if a hundred of us live that way, if hundreds of us live under this promise of victory, we will see a change. I'm running out of time. A couple of verses. These are just assurances of this victory. 1 Corinthians 15, 25 says this, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Jesus already did this. 1 Corinthians 15, same chapter, moving on in verse 54. He says that when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in Victory. This is what happens when we pass away from this life and enter into the inheritance purchased for us in eternity by God. We, the perishable, will have the imperishable. We go from mortal to immortality, and death has been swallowed up in victory. And so, as Hosea chapter 13 says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, when we enter into this champion mindset, no matter what struggle we have, we know that we've already won. We go into the game already knowing the result. Doesn't that fill us with confidence and this security to know that there is nothing that can separate us from God, closing verses are these in Romans chapter 8. This defines the champion mindset. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? See, this is life. (laughs) We struggle with these things. and, And it's common to think, Lord, are you no longer around? I'm going through these difficult things. Why? Well, As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. Speaking to the apostles who were truly persecuted for their faith. They were standing up for the gospel. And they were being slaughtered day after day. Paul writes in verse 37, no. Despite all these trials and struggles and issues. Despite all these things. Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ. Through the Lamb who was sacrificed for us, who loved us. Another translation says, We are more than conquerors, and I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No. Power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Victory 
is ours through Christ. I hope that you receive that this morning. I hope that as we close, you are able to proclaim that over your life. I am more than a conqueror. There is nothing that can separate me from God. And I want to close by reading something I just heard two days ago at a celebration of life. If you've ever been to a funeral celebration of life of a brother or sister in Christ who lived faithfully, you know the dichotomy of Romans where it says, mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. You do those things. It's like a ping pong match. One moment you are weeping. And then the other moment you are rejoicing because you know that they're in heaven experiencing garden reality again. And I heard this celebration of life by one of our Marines who gave his life serving our country. We talked about him a couple days ago, Major Tobin Lewis, Paul and Mary, who are Paul's one of our elders, beloved members of our church, lost their son-in-law, that's Toby. And in a celebration of life, one of his comrades, a fellow Marine, Jamie Bunk, Major Jamie Bunk, came up and declared the gospel in such a powerful, clear, and direct word. And so I emailed him and asked, may I share this with our church? Because my friends, we can never get over the gospel message. We never move past from it. We, we only understand it deeper. Let me read what he shared in Toby's celebration of life. He said, you see, our creator God is holy, just good and loving. We are his people made in his image and made for fellowship with him. And though we were once in fellowship with God and loved by him, we are now cut off from him. That separation of God and his people started with a rebellion by our ancestors and at the heart of it, the rebellion was our choice not to believe God and to attempt to make ourselves God instead. That treasonous rebellion failed and the judgment was eternal death, eternity separated from our creator. Horribly, the sin of rebellion is passed on from generation to generation as a curse. All people inherit both the sin and the judgment our sin nature makes it impossible for anyone to earn his or her way back to God. But even though we are unable to buy, earn, or do enough good to evade the curse, God himself provided a way of escape back to a loving, forgiving relationship with him. The entire Bible pronounces, prophesies, records, and explains the coming of a Savior who would do that on our behalf, his own son, Jesus who was fully God and fully man, lived on earth as a friend to the lonely, a healer to the sick, and a teacher of God's ways. He lived a blameless life and became the perfect sacrifice to ransom us from the curse of sin and death. Jesus paid the penalty for our sin through his death on the cross. He rose from the dead, conquering death and proved that what he said was true, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father, but through him, through his death and subsequent resurrection, he obtained the right to offer us forgiveness from our sin and the right for any who would turn to him to become children of God, to live in relationship with the creator of the universe. Jesus calls us to turn from self-seeking, unbelieving lifestyle 
and the accompanying sin that ensnares us and put our hope and trust in him alone to rescue us from the curse so that we might live a life of selflessness, kindness, and grace. By human power, this is impossible, but God has given us his Holy Spirit to guide and direct us. He uh, went on to give an invitation of life at a celebration of life. I want to do the same this morning. If you're able, please stand as we close in prayer. We thank you, God, for victory over death, that the devil is where he belongs, crushed under your foot. We praise you, God. You did it. We can't. We are unfaithful. You are faithful. And this morning, we humbly receive the promise of victory. We receive the promise of everlasting life, maybe for the first time. If you have yet to confess that Jesus is both Savior and Lord, give you an opportunity to do that this morning. Romans 10 says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that he has been raised from the dead, we will be saved. Not anything we've done, but what's been done for us. I want to encourage you to repeat these words after me and say, Jesus, I surrender. I give you my life because you gave me yours. I choose to follow you all the days of my life as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For the rest of us, I encourage us to thank God for the victory over death. Maybe that means raising up our hands in victory or surrender right where we are or coming forward, kneeling here, heel on the altar or standing here with arms raised as a symbol of what he's done for us. We want to respond to his great love. Maybe we need prayer. There's people here in the front to pray with us, to my left and to my right. Lord, we yield the rest of our time to you. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Messages podcast. You can dive deeper into the messages weekly by subscribing to the Conversations podcast, where we dig into the previous Sunday's message, unpacking how we can apply it further in our daily lives. See you again next week.